I know you can do it. You're a special kid. You're my boy, do you understand? But you're also a spoiled, rich brat who's always had everything done for him. Now it's time to do for yourself, Mike, and you can do it. Because I'm telling you, the world meets nobody halfway. Do you understand what that means? If you want it, Mike, you gotta take it. Do you hear me? You gotta take it. To reconnect with his son, a truck driver must win an arm wrestling contest? Listen as we discuss what it means to fly as an unaccompanied minor, how to not tell someone their wife died, and the rules of double elimination tournaments. Then we find out if over the top stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Test of Time. I'm James Brief, and joining me, as always, is Alan Noah. Welcome, Alan. Welcome to you, too, James. How are you doing today? I'm great, and welcome to you thrice. Um, I think that's unnecessary, but okay, sure. We've bored the listeners with our pleasantries. Let's get to the major news that they all want to hear about. You mean the new Mario Kart courses that are coming? Well, yes, there are going to be downloadable courses uh, for um, Mario Kart, which is basically the most popular game on Nintendo Switch. But it's more that Nintendo is now entering the download content. Because, to be honest, what has Nintendo really changed about Mario Kart in several generations? Not much. It's basically identical to the Wii U, because it's literally the same game. That's true. And the Nintendo Wii version, it's very similar to it. And you could argue that even Double Dash on the GameCube was similar and N64 because of the ways you can go on these tracks. I'm saying it's incremental steps up, almost in sort of a, the way uh, you know a Madden is, is doing it. And, and I've always argued, like, why do they sell a full Madden game when they can easily just, you know, every year sell a downloadable new roster? And, you know, EA, for obvious reasons, doesn't want to do that. But, you know, it's kind of cool that Nintendo's doing it because... They could probably sell Mario Kart 9 if they wanted to, and everyone would buy it. But this way, I think uh, you know, it might be smart of them to do it for about 25 bucks or so, and you get about uh, almost 50 new courses. Pretty smart of them. I think it would be cooler, though, if they were releasing brand new tracks. It seems like most or maybe all of the courses that they're including in this DLC are going to be like remastered versions of old courses and that's fine and that's fun and i don't know maybe for 25 bucks it's worth it but even if it was like mostly old courses and then like a couple of new ones to me that would make it more worthwhile you know to play something brand brand new yeah, but that would probably be Mario Kart 9. I think it's good that Nintendo's done this and, you know, released it something cheaper. However, this is a slippery slope because Mario Kart 8 is a full game. And now it's like, hey, guys, for a little bonus, you can get it. You don't have to. You still can totally enjoy the game without it. But here's a little extra bonus. And I really hope Nintendo doesn't do the, the temptation of only releasing, you know, 
half of a game and then going, oh, well, if you want the other half immediately upon release or, you know, a month later, there's 50 new tracks, it's going to be a slippery slope unless the you know base game is cheaper, but it probably isn't. So Nintendo wants to release 50 new tracks every year, 25 bucks. That's, that's a great deal. I get what you're saying. Also, though, isn't now Mario Kart 8 kind of venturing into Street Fighter 2 territory in terms of like, Remember that game was Street Fighter 2, then there was Street Fighter 2 Turbo, then there was Super Street Fighter 2, then there was Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. And like, after a while, you're like, why don't you just make Street Fighter 3? Why are there four versions of Street Fighter 2? Mario Kart 8 came out on Wii U, then it was Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on Switch. Now there's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe DLC. Like, at a certain point, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah but bring us the next game. You know, bring us Mario Kart 9 already. Oh, they're not going to do that until the next uh, console. They've been very, very smart about one Mario Kart game per console. And I think this is a way to just generate a few extra, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. But I think they're going to release one per console. But they haven't released a brand new Mario Kart game for the Switch console. They have released the same game that they released on Wii U. Yes, I understand that not a lot of people had the Wii U and blah, blah, blah. But it is the same game. Nintendo is basically giving themselves a mulligan with the Wii U. Nintendo, in its very smart decision, ported many of these games to the Switch, and they've been blockbuster sellers that they never were on the on the Wii U. Like, Breath of the Wild is actually a Wii U game mm-hmm. that they ported to, to the Switch. Right. And, you know, of course, that was one of the most brilliant moves Nintendo ever made. But I know what you mean. But it is uh, a little bit of a cheat, but they're still only going to do one per console. Maybe, maybe. But however they do it, I think their profits are going to go over the top. Oh, you like that segue? Uh, No, it was terrible. It was terrible. But I made it and I'm sticking with it. Let's talk about over the top. This is a Sylvester Stallone movie that I had never seen. I'd heard of it. You know, I knew of it. And I saw that the 35th anniversary was around now. And I was like, well, that's as good of an excuse as ever to watch Sylvester Stallone arm wrestle for some reason. And I will admit, I was curious to, like, know what the for some reason is. Like, I knew it was a movie about arm wrestling. But I'm like, why? Why does he arm wrestle? And now that I've watched the movie, I know the answer. I mean, it's a sport. I mean, I'm not going to judge a sport. It seems to be a perfectly legitimate sport. And there's really never been a movie about arm wrestling. And it's 2022. And when you talk about the major motion picture about arm wrestling, it's still 1987's Over the Top. So, I mean, is there another one? No, but it's not a mainstream sport. There's a million movies about baseball and football and hockey. There's only one movie about dodgeball. Yes, but you can make a great movie about that. And you can make a great movie about billiards, uh, The Hustler, The Color of Money. This is still the definitive arm wrestling film. I guess. But the movie, for anyone who doesn't know, who hasn't seen it, it's about a trucker named Hawk. Although sometimes he's called Hawks, plural. But I think most of the time they refer to him as Hawk. So we'll go with Hawk. And that's Stallone. Right. Of course. Of course. And he's trying to reconcile with his long-lost son, Michael, who he hasn't seen in years. The two get to know each other as they drive across the country, and Hawk shows his son his arm wrestling skills. Hawk ultimately ends up in a Las Vegas arm wrestling tournament. If he wins, he'll have the financial freedom to take care of his son. But to do that, 
Hawk will have to go over the top, which is like a thing that you do in arm wrestling. And also, you know, a metaphor, I guess. Um, But when this movie came out 35 years ago, how did it do? You know, this film was uh, released at the height of Stallone's fame. Uh, It was 1985. Sylvester Stallone had two of the top three films of that year. It was the most successful Rambo, which was Rambo, colon, First Blood, Part Mm 2, and also Rocky IV, where Rocky versus Ivan Drago, and that was the most successful film of of the franchise. And that's also when Stallone made this film, and he made a lot of other clunkers around then, Cobra and this film. And the budget for this film was actually $25 million. And for 1987, that's a lot of money. And I have to assume that Stallone was probably a significant amount of that budget. Well, yeah, I mean, arm wrestling to film doesn't require a huge budget. You know, you don't need like stadiums packed with people and crazy special effects. It's just two dudes holding hands. Right. And other than Stallone, I mean, I recognize Robert Loja. I mean, this is a huge budget film, but there's no other stars in here other than Stallone. There's a couple chase scenes, but they're more driving scenes. Yeah. yeah I don't know where the budget went. I can only imagine Stallone was paid a huge amount. Right. But so when the movie did come out, how much money did it make? Well, it came out on February 13th, 1987. Would you think this is a Valentine's Day film? No, this is a movie that, like, maybe if you're bringing your girlfriend, wife to a romantic movie and, oh, no, it's sold out, but I promised you a movie. Hey, Over the Top is playing. That's not sold out. And then that's going to be a really bad Valentine's Day. Yeah, I I can't imagine that was too high on the list for a romantic movie for a lot of people. No, I mean, I guess it was counter-programming, as they say. Yeah. But um, it opened at number four with $5 million on its way to only $16 million. So this was not a financial success for them. Now that we're reviewing today, Over the Top... We reviewed four of the top ten from that weekend. Oh, yeah? One of them involved an endangered species. Um, An endangered aquatic species. Oh, the stupid Star Trek one? No, the awesome Star Trek for The Voyage Home. No, I was correct. Okay, one of them was an enormous success. I believe might be the number one film from that year, yet you and I both agreed did not stand the test of time. Give me a little more than that. Okay, I'll tell you that it had something in the film that when we watched it, we're like, holy shit, I can't believe they made that joke and that this was the number one film of the year. Oh, Crocodile Dundee? Yes, of course. When he basically grabs someone's crotch and goes, oh, no, it's a real woman. Yeah. Yeah, that did not stand up. All right, there was another one that definitely did not stand up. It starts out really, really interesting. Ancient Egypt. You have me. Mannequin. And then they never refer to Ancient Egypt ever again. Uh, Other films we haven't reviewed from that top ten. Platoon. Okay. I guess if we're really, like, not feeling in a happy place, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Spoiler alert, not a happy ending. Right. Um, Then there's a movie, Outrageous Fortune. I think that might be Bette Midler and Richard Dreyfuss, if I remember correctly. Never heard of that. Um, The Mannequin was number three. Over the Top, number four. A movie called Black 
Widow, number five. Crocodile oh, with Scarlett Johansson? <laughs> no, not with Scarlett no, Johansson. No, because it was 34 years before? No. Uh, Crocodile Dundee in six, Star Trek in nine. And then a little below that, a film we're definitely going to uh, review at some point, a kind of forgotten Eddie Murphy film with a lot of special effects in it. Do you remember this one? Uh... Beverly Hills Cop didn't have special effects. No, but it was at the height of his Beverly Hills Cop. Like Eddie Murphy is the number one star in all of Hollywood fame. And this was, I believe, a big hit. It's called The Golden Child. Oh, I've heard of that. I've never seen that one. All right. So, yeah, interesting top 10 or top 11, if you include The Golden Child. We will review uh, at least a couple more of those. Sure. Sounds good. But the movie begins where we see the boy, Michael, and he's graduating from military school or maybe just like graduating from junior middle school, military school. Like he's a kid. He's like 10, 12, something like that. It's some kind of boarding school that has a military flair to it. Sure. And then we also see Hawk, Sylvester Stallone's character, and he's driving in his truck and he's like cleaning his truck. He's going out of his way to make sure his truck looks really nice. And the song that's playing under all of this is maybe the cheesiest damn song I have ever heard. Maybe ever. It's called In This Country by Robin Zander, who's famously known as the lead singer of Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick has some amazing songs. This song is really just garbage. Let's play a clip here for a second. The line, the miles go by like water under the bridge. I mean, that's cheesy in and of itself, but they're showing you a guy driving a truck over a bridge like when that lyric hits. I'm like, come on, stop it. Just stop. This is terrible. Uh, Apparently, Giorgio Moroder did the music for this movie. He's a very well-known producer and uh, artist, and that kind of surprised me a little bit. But very quickly, we just get the main characters. There's Hawk the trucker. There's the kid, Michael. Michael has an overbearing grandpa, and Michael's mom is dying. And her wish as she's dying is for Hawk to spend some time with his son and for them to get to know each other. But then Hawk shows up at the military school to pick up his son, and Michael's like, I don't know who this guy is. And they're like, no, that's your father. You should go home with him. And I wasn't totally clear... Does he barely know him or does he not know him at all? Because it seems like he doesn't know him at all. And at that point, like, yeah, that's really, really weird to go home with someone you don't know. That is weird. And I'm going to say right now, this is pretty interesting. There's a possible compelling story here. I mean, sure, it's minute two of the movie, but okay. Well, I mean, I actually took it that he doesn't really know him at all. He made the biggest mistake of his life. There's really no excuse short of I literally got hit in the head and I had amnesia that, you know, abandoning your kid. However, perhaps this is a redemption story. Right. And in the course of the movie, we will find out the reason why he abandoned his child and we will learn his reasons behind it. We will determine if we feel sympathy for him or not. He will have corrected this particular character flaw through some kind of action. Self-sacrifice, probably. Right. Something like that. I mean, this is Sylvester Stallone. This guy was in the best picture. Uh, Rocky, only a few years earlier. He wrote it. Right. 
And he has like a, I think, co-writing credit on this movie. Apparently he didn't really write very much of it, but he does have a, a credit for it. But yeah, like the kid doesn't really want to hang out with the guy. Understandable. They go to a truck stop and Hawk orders a steak and Michael's lecturing him about cholesterol. I feel like that was kind of like an 80s thing when people are first getting like into it and uh, hearing about that. So of course it would be kind of a kid that would say that in sort of a way that like, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that. And then Hawk is like, all right, well, you can just have the fried chicken instead. And then the kid's like, well, that's actually worse, you know, or or just as bad in terms of cholesterol. That's kind of funny. I'm going to say, Al, I went in with an open mind. So I'm still saying, all right, I actually like cross-country movies. You know, it's kind of a formula. Planes, trains, and automobiles, these people don't know each other, bond by the end. Maybe we'll have a similar real emotional bonding here. Maybe. Uh, we'll see. You really said that like, with the with the face of maybe like we're about to watch. Uh huh. Um, after Hawk orders his steak and Michael gets whatever vegetable plate he eats, a guy challenges Hawk to arm wrestle. It's a guy named Smasher. He has an amazing mullet because, of course, he does. And it looks like Hawk is going to lose this arm wrestling match. But wouldn't you know it, he wins. He wins some money. The other truckers who are at this truck stop who bet on Hawk, they win. The guys who bet on Smasher, they lose. But this is the first time that Michael sees that his dad is pretty good at arm wrestling for some reason. Arm wrestling is not something I know about. It's a niche sport. There could be a very interesting subculture to this. There could be all these kind of weird things that I don't know about. So let's learn. Well, I was wondering, is this really big with truckers in real life or just in this movie? Because it seems like it. Like they're at a trucker road stop and all these truckers are arm wrestling and you see that Hawk has like a mini rig thing in his truck where he does like some exercises that he can do to strengthen his arm while he's driving. I love that. That I thought was cool. But I was like, do a lot of truckers do that? Why do truckers care so much about arm wrestling when they get to the championship at the end of the movie? The prize is a giant rig. So presumably there's a big overlap between truckers and arm wrestlers. But like... Why? I don't know. I felt like that was something interesting that could have been explored, not with 10 minutes of exposition, but with like two lines of, you know, oh, there was this guy who was a trucker and he figured out how to make this little machine so he could work out his arms when he drives. And now we all arm wrestle because of him. Cool. But like they never explained that at all. I had exactly that note about this prize. And the prize is $100,000 in cash. And a truck worth $250,000. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. This is perfect for Hawk because he's an owner-operator. He needs a new truck and this would be amazing. But, you know, what if you're in construction? Maybe if they gave you an F Ford 150, like, that would be cool. But not everyone needs a huge $250,000 truck. I could understand if it was, like, $250,000 in cash sponsored by this major trucking company. But it's a weird thing that it's, yeah, it's a hundred grand in cash, but a quarter million dollar truck that you may have no use for, even though it's a beautiful truck. I wonder if it's like price is right kind of a thing where like if you win a car and you don't really need it, you can just like take the cash equivalent. 
Maybe, maybe you're right. I mean, I don't know. Uh, unless, like, the the Venn diagram of arm wrestlers and truckers is just a circle, in which case you're fine, but, like, that can't possibly be it, right? There's got to be people who like arm wrestling who have other jobs, I would assume. Right, right. And now begins one of several montages in this film. And I guess that's expected. I mean, maybe it's almost like a trademark. Like, audiences would be expecting this from Sylvester Stallone after four Rockies. And especially Rocky IV, as we reviewed, was, you know, 80% montage. I think that's a little low, but yeah. (laughs) Right, exactly. And they're doing a lot of weightlifting in this workout. They're lifting in the truck, which, again, I think is an awesome device. Uh, And there's a, a line that Michael says, and he goes, you know, there's more to life than just muscles. And he says, I don't see many books around and that really doesn't stand the test of time because that really feeds into a total 80s thing that you were either a jock or a nerd and nerds read books and jocks lifted weights and i think that's a very outdated thing yes but also you could not have any books around and just have a kindle and read a million books Right, and you could also, uh, people that have a lot of books and bookshelves, uh, that doesn't mean they read them either. That's also true. Yeah, I mean, the kid's just kind of being smarmy to his dad, but, you know, that's probably to be expected because he's a tween who's never met his dad. Smarmy and tween. Nice words. Thank you. But because a hawk is an arm wrestler and he's bonding with his son, he decides that he's going to make his son arm wrestle. And they stop somewhere for a meal and Hawk goes over to some kids and is like, I'll bet you that my kid can beat you at arm wrestling. I'll give you 10 to 1 odds. They're doing all of this in front of a Mario Brothers arcade game, not Super Mario Brothers, like the original Mario Brothers with just the pipes and stuff. Which I never really liked. It's so repetitive. Yeah, that game gets real old real fast. Uh, but it's a two out of three match. At first, the the bully beats the kid, and then he's really sad, and, and Michael runs out of the restaurant, and Hawk gives him a pep talk, and then he's able to go back and beat the kid the next two rounds, and, like, yay? The kid who's a bully is, like, such a jerk for this kid he just met. Like, why? You don't know who he is. Also, they're arm wrestling on what looks to be like the glass of a pinball machine, which is the worst place you could arm wrestle. I get it, they're kids, how strong are they? But even still, you smash down hard enough, you're gonna like slice up both of your arms horrifically. Oh, I was thinking more the impact their elbows are making, the force that they're pushing down on each other's elbows. I was thinking the exact same thing. Holy shit, these kids you just smash through and cut some horrible artery. It looked horrible to me. When Stallone took his son out, he says his pep talk to him, and I thought it was almost a good pep talk because he was saying, I wouldn't have bet this if I didn't know you could win. He genuinely believes in him, but that's all he said. It wasn't one of these, like, you're going to feel pain, but you're going to get through it. This is how you win. You go over the top with your fingers, and you're going to bend your wrist or whatever. He just says, you're going to win. It sounded almost like he was going to rip off the Rocky Three speech when Apollo tells Rocky, he's like, fear, that's why you can't do it. You got to overcome fear. I thought he was going to do it. No, it was just, you could do it. And the kid does, and he wins. And the bully's like, wow, how'd you do that? And then Stallone, he blows it. Like, it could have been like, because he had the will to do it. He knew he could beat you. But he just says, 
genetics. So it basically said, you have to be born to a guy like me. That's how you win. You fucking blew it. It was so close. Yeah, I was thinking that the movie also has a missed opportunity with, like, explaining a little bit of, like, yeah, how to win. Because, like you're saying, he does this thing with his fingers. What does that do? What are his strategies? At the end of the movie, Hawk beats guys that are way bigger than him, who have arms that are, like, twice as thick as Hawk's arm. So there's got to be something more than just muscle, that there's some strategy. And, again, I don't want 20 minutes of exposition about how to arm wrestle, but, like, a little bit of, like, some secret sauce. You do get some of that in the Rocky movies, and it was really lacking in this movie. Oh, yeah. I really thought they were going to explain this over-the-top thing or how he does it. I mean, are you familiar with this uh, Japanese competitive eater, uh, um, Kobayashi? Yeah, yeah, the guy at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest who, like, dips the buns in the water. Right, but what's more particularly interesting about him when he first came on the scene? That he was tiny? Yeah, he's, like, a little over 100 pounds or something. I mean, I don't know how much he actually weighs, but he's a slim guy, and he eats, you know, 63 hot dogs or something. And if they're going to make a movie about it, you better just have some line. Like, oh, I just stretch my esophagus. Just say some line. Like, oh, okay, I don't know what that means, but, oh, okay, he stretches his esophagus to do it. Fine. You're right, this over-the-top thing, he could explain, like, guys don't want to do it, everyone thinks this is the worst thing, but this is why you win, because you lose power in the wrist, but you gain power in the bicep. You know, something, say some bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because if it's such a great move, why doesn't everyone do it? So yeah, I think a line like that would have gone a really long way in this movie. I totally, totally agree. But meanwhile, Michael's grandfather is super pissed that Hawk is with his kid. Uh, he's played by Robert Loja. He's Robert like, Loja. Yeah. He's a super rich guy. And after Michael, like, beats these kids in the arm wrestling match, some goons grab him, kidnap him, and are, like, presumably taking him back to his grandfather. And Hawk goes after him. He chases him. He crashes the truck. And he rescues him. And then he just, like, lets the kidnappers go which is super weird because they're kidnappers. This is an attempted kidnapping. Call the police, do something. And he's like, you're with me now. Kidnappers are gone now. Like, what? Call the cops. Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I do love you. You're still on impression. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was another montage of uh, Stallone teaching Michael how to drive. I actually liked that. I thought that was kind of a cute thing. Uh, you know, letting a kid drive. I thought that was fun. But he drove a long time. It wasn't like, I'm going to let you go this mile in the American Southwest desert. It was like, he drove through several states. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, at a certain point, it's like... Now you're not just teaching the kid something cool. You're just like making him do your job for you. But along the way, they do have a conversation about why Hawk left. Why wasn't he around Michael his whole life? Why is he just meeting the kid now at 10, 12 years old? Michael asks his dad the question we've all been wondering, where were you my whole life? And Hawk says, hey, people make mistakes sometimes. Yeah, people make mistakes. What, you, you think people couldn't understand my impression? <laughs> I mean, probably. Put anything in there. I mean, put something cliche. I thought I could have an opportunity, and I messed up, and I thought about you every day, and I wanted to 
see you, but I made the horrible mistake and I'm so sorry. And all I could say is sorry, sorry, sorry. And people make mistakes. Yeah, it's so lame. And like, Michael is disappointed. I was disappointed by the explanation. And I was thinking still like, oh, but I bet there's going to be more to it that will be revealed later. There isn't. There's no more. He made a mistake. That's it. A mistake is like being late to your kid's birthday party. Missing the first 10 years of your kid's life is more than a mistake. Yeah, and then uh, to make matters worse, Michael's mother dies. I was going to bring that up. The way the the doctor tells Hawk that his wife dies was so ice cold. Hawk is like, oh, I'm here to see whatever her name is. And the nurse is like, I'll have you talk to the doctor. The doctor walks right over to him and says, your wife died. No, like, bringing him into another room, saying, I have some horrible news, sir. We did everything we could, but your wife didn't make it. He just looks at him and is like, you're the husband of the lady? Oh, yeah, she did. She died real good. She's super dead. Bye. (laughs) That is not the way to do it. No, no, it is not. I mean, even in this cheesy movie, I was like, they could have done a little bit better than that. Well, what they did is they gave us a funeral and thinking montage where you got the funeral uh, scenes all the cliche scenes then a lot of hawk in the silhouette of the sunset like just looking out yonder and uh, he throws something you know because he's frustrated with life because now michael's mad at him michael blames him because they didn't get there in time right 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 so hawk winds up he takes his truck and he rams it through the gate of his grandpa because he, he tries this easy way he tries going to the gate and saying oh is he my son the security guards they're not letting him in so this 18 wheeler uh takes a you know big uh, running start and smashes through the gate and he smashes through a lot of stuff, uh, through statues and ultimately through the front door. And he comes in and Michael's like, I want to be with my dad. Robert Loja's like, no, you're not. And he's basically arrested because you can't really do what Hawk did. Yeah, no, it's very, very stupid. I mean, if Hawk is smart and he wants to get custody of his son, driving a truck through the grandfather's house is not a good idea. Although in Hawk's defense, he might not know that because it's only like his third day of being a father. No, he should have known that. And then the grandpa's lawyer basically comes to visit him in jail and gives him an ultimatum. We'll let you out of jail. We won't press charges as long as you relinquish custody of your son. And then Michael comes in and he says, yeah, I just feel safer. I know grandpa, it just kind of makes sense. And Hawk makes a difficult decision to walk away from his son forever. I guess presumably till he's 18. I don't think you could sign away. You'll never see him after he's 18. That's true. I mean, yeah, the custody just means you won't have uh, legal custody of, of the kid. But yeah, when he's an adult, yeah, the kid can do whatever he wants. Yeah, but uh, then we get another montage to really, you know, move the film along. And basically, Hawk keeps driving cross-country. Uh, he makes it to Vegas. When he gets to Nevada, the welcome sign says, good luck, which I really wonder if that's true. Because, yeah, you think of Nevada, you think of Las Vegas. But there's other things in Nevada besides gambling. You know, just saying, like, welcome to Nevada, good luck. That could have a sinister meaning of, like, you're not going to like it here. You're going to get murdered Terrible things are going to happen to you here. Good luck. Also in this montage, the son finds this box of letters. Turns out that 
Hawk had been sending his son uh, letters, like it looks like, you know, letter maybe every month for his entire life. But of course, it's one of those things where the grandpa was keeping them. Why was he keeping them, not throwing them out? Well, that's a very good question. Also, was it clear that it was the grandpa and not the mom? I mean, I feel like we've sort of sainted the mom because she was sick and died. But like, do we know for a fact that it wasn't her that was keeping the letters? The woman just died out. Seriously. I'm just saying we don't know who did it. And so, like, the grandpa did it because he's the bad guy, sure. But, like, what's the proof of that? I'm guessing that he was not spoken of highly in that household around the time that grandpa's pregnant daughter, or maybe he left after he was born or something. But around the time that Hawk left, presumably the mom moved back in with grandpa, I assume she was not speaking very highly of him. Okay. Also, what about phones? How come Hawk never tried to call his uh, son on the phone? Hmm, that's true. That's true. That's very good. Very, very, very good questions, Al. I mean, come on. But he does find the old letters, and he realizes that his dad really does love him. So, luckily, he did learn how to drive. I was actually glad that there would be a callback to this, because I was like, otherwise, that is just kind of weird. But uh, he does steal a car, and he drives cross-country to basically go to Vegas. No, he doesn't drive cross-country. He drives to the airport. Right, right, right And then right. he gets on a plane as an unaccompanied minor, and no one says anything. This is fine, though. This is 1980. This this could have happened in 1987. Bullshit. Bullshit. I used to fly as an unaccompanied minor all the time. My sister and I flew cross-country. Like I said, we weren't totally unaccompanied. We had each other, but still, we were unaccompanied, and there were things that had to happen. You had to check in as an unaccompanied minor. I had to wear a big, giant plastic necklace around our necks the whole time. You couldn't take that off. Everyone knew, the flight attendants, everyone knew that we were unaccompanied minors. If there was an unaccompanied minor on a plane in the 80s, everyone knew it. It was not a secret. But this kid just waltzes on the plane and everyone's like, oh, cool. No, that is not how it works. And one other thing, which I did think was uh, quite interesting, uh, but there is no callback to this, but Hawk took all the money he had, presumably all the money he had in the world, and during this montage, he goes to some sports book in Vegas, and he bets $7,000 on himself to win, and someone says, you're a long shot, buddy, that's a 20 to 1 odds. No, the guy who's taking the money says, that's what I call gambling. Which is so stupid. First off, don't make judgment calls if you're, like, taking people's money. But also, like, really? That's the line? That's what I call gambling. Well, isn't all of it gambling? Yeah, and, you know, spoiler alert later, you know, Hawk wins. They do not make any reference to the fact that he just won $140,000 in cash, like, on top of everything else. Like, this is huge. I don't know if they specifically say it, but the thing is that he sells his truck for $7,000, and then he takes that money and bets it on himself so that he will have, you know, more winnings if he does, in fact, win. And if he doesn't win, he's ruined. It ups the stakes. Yeah, I just thought there would be some kind of reference to it. I thought there was going to be some kind of uh, big check given to him, sort of like the end of Dodgeball, when they bring out a treasure chest of all of his winnings. I thought there would be some reference to it, because this made it so much bigger. Yeah. 
But then we get to the tournament, and the rules of the tournament are that it's a double elimination tournament, which means you have to lose twice. If you lose once, you're not eliminated from the tournament. You have to lose two times to be eliminated from the tournament. So it's like an elimination but double. Right. But, like, if you lose once, you're still in it. And the reason I'm saying this over and over again is because the movie says it over and over and over again. I counted five times that the movie tells us that this is a double elimination tournament because it's very important to know because Hawk is going to lose and he's still in it. And you have to understand that even though he lost, he still has a chance because double elimination. I mean, I don't know if it would be a good drinking game, but like, you know, every time they say double elimination, take a shot. And just like these couple of minutes at this part of the movie, you're going to get pretty drunk. Yeah, it feels like this entire final scene was directed by a different director than this film because they changed to sort of a documentary style uh, of filming. They do the talking head scenes of all the characters talking about why they're there. Like a reality show, it's between each round. It's like, this is what I got to do this round and or I'm going to kill him. And you notice that Hawk is very, very noble. He's like, I'm just here to support my family or whatever he's there for. Thrasher, whatever the guy, the, the, the big meanie. He goes, I break arms and there is no second place like that's him it's a documentary style which is weird but i I think it works i actually think it was kind of cool i don't agree that the whole style of the whole part of the movie changes it's just like these interviews do you want to know some industry lingo you know what you call those kind of interviews oh they're not talking heads no a talking head is more like a guy in a chair that's like in a room and it's well lit and you have it all like set up for that interview that would be a talking head or a news where it's just a, someone in front of a green screen. These kinds of interviews that are sort of done kind of more like on the fly, that's called an OTF for on the fly. So like in the office when they cut the gym in, in the back room saying, well, that was weird. Like, yes. That's an OTF. Yes. And, and what you would see like in an actual reality show when something crazy happens at the restaurant and then you see the person outside the restaurant saying, I can't believe he did that. That's OTF. But yeah, like you said, it's a double, is it a double elimination? Yes, it's a double elimination. That means you have to be eliminated only if you lose two times. So if Hawk loses once, he's completely out of the tournament, you're saying? No, you would think so, but it's actually not the case. Oh, that's really convenient because Hawk loses once. And yeah, that'd be anticlimactic if he just, you know, loses this whole tournament. But he loses, and as per the rules, there's this small little uh, rule that says you're not eliminated if you lose once. Right. But then the grandpa shows up and he makes Hawk an offer that he will give him $500,000 cash and a beautiful new truck, a truck that's even nicer than the grand prize that's being offered in the contest. All he has to do is go away and leave Michael forever. And of course, Hawk isn't going to take that deal. In fact, that kind of gives him more inspiration to win. Then he sees Michael at the contest during the finals, and that gives him even more of a boost. And Hawk makes it to the finals. And in like the the final match, their hands like slip off of each other. So then it's like not a win or a loss. It's just like a thing they have to do again. And they, they put a strap on their hands. I thought that was a little interesting, but I also thought like, It's weird that we've gotten to this point in the movie and we haven't seen that happen before because you've got these really big burly guys under these hot lights. You figure they're going to be sweating a lot and that would happen a lot. 
Right. I mean, they could have easily done this like when the kids were arm wrestling. They slipped out. And he just says, no, no, you redo it. That's a, a slip or whatever whatever the lingo is. Yeah, there's got to be a word for it. But you're right to introduce that at the end. That was like, oh, because Stallone almost lost. And and it was like, so does he lose? Uh, like, you're right. That's not the time to introduce that rule. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. It's actually a pretty cool thing. They do this strap and they wrap a leather strap around the guys. Honestly, I, I think it's... For an arm wrestling uh, movie, that's a pretty cool way to do the finals. I think you'll give it at least that. I mean, I guess. Okay. I mean, you got to do something. I mean, I guess it could be like there's like a poisonous snake on both sides and whatever you push it on. Like they get bitten too. That's an over-the-top two. This time it's for keeps. I mean, like there's acid that you're pushing, you know, the hands into. That's the squid game version of arm wrestling. I guess, yeah. But... It's a tense match, and you know it's tense because there's a lot of extreme close-ups of Hawk's face and the other guy's face. And you also know because he says, I own you to Hawk. So you know, like, oh man, Hawk is definitely going to be owned. But Hawk is not owned. Hawk comes back. He wins the contest. He defeats Bull. That's the the name of the guy. But how does he do it? By going over over the the top. top. And then I'm like, oh, well... Okay, he beat him once, but I vaguely remember something about double elimination. So the movie is not over and, you know, the contest must go on. No, no, that's it. Apparently the double elimination thing that they mentioned 837 times doesn't apply to the finals, which maybe that's the rule, but no one said that. And I thought it was weird after they made such a big deal about the double elimination. This time, it's just one elimination. No, to be fair, double elimination, usually as you leave the tournament, there's like a side tournament of all the losers. And then they usually like, they'll come back in the like semifinals or the quarterfinals. And then there's no more double elimination. So I will give that to the over the top people. That one, I don't think they meant that the finals is also double elimination. They spelled it out 832 times about that. There was double elimination. If you're going to change it for the finals, you should have one line of dialogue where you say that and they don't. So fuck them. (laughs) Right. If they're going to say it eight times, one of those times should explain it. Yeah. But he wins, and Hawk puts a huge Hawk hood ornament on the front of the truck. And there's a part, like, after uh, Hawk wins that Robert Loja and the goons, they kind of just look at him. Like, I guess it's like, I guess he's earned the right to see his son, because... There's still some signed document that he's given up the rights to this kid. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, like, maybe a line of dialogue could have yada yada away. It would have felt like it was yada yada away, but they don't even bother. It's so obvious what to do. I mean, in a cliche 80s way, it's one of those, like, the only way he'll ever see his son again is winning. And, like, you know, he was playing for his son, and that way he has to tear up the... uh, thing he signed away for custody i'm saying it's stupid but that's something why does he get to drive away with his son at the end i don't know i don't think you're supposed to think about it that terrible song from the beginning of the movie starts playing again and it goes to the credits but now that we've gotten to the end of the movie james do you think over the top stands a test of time you know it's a kind of your sports cliche thing 
I was sure that the first time we see Hawk play against this guy Thrasher, Basher, whatever his Smasher. name is. Smasher. Smasher. I thought he was going to lose. And then this is the guy we're going to see in Vegas at the end. And then he's going to win. Other than the horrible flaw of the fact that he, he abandoned his kid, which is never explained, mm-hmm. this guy has no flaws. He doesn't lose at all. He loses once in a double elimination, but that means he doesn't lose. But the thing about this film is that it kind of sometimes skates just on the edge of being interesting. The arm wrestling thing could be interesting. It's a subculture I know nothing about. And I think it would be interesting to know that it's actually not just truckers. Like, oh, that guy there, he's a surgeon. That guy there, he's in the military. Comes out here every every time he can get off base. And he's an architect and a computer guy. But these guys are ripped. I thought that might be interesting. She's a librarian. Exactly. They, they actually have a, a woman's arm wrestling competition. Competition in this, I thought that was really cool. Like uh, the, yeah. these women go in, like it was like fifty thousand dollars. Yes, it's a whole other conversation for another time. Why their purse was less, but yeah, they don't show the women at all. Uh, and the whole dynamic with the son, it could be very interesting. And I am a Stallone fan. I, I like him. I think he could be very charming and likable. I think. <laughs> I don't think Stallone really cared about this film. It turned out to be cliches and not an interesting cliche i'm not talking about like yeah this is a stupid action film and i really like it this is not a film i can have really much of a guilty pleasure with he has said in interviews that he just did it for the paycheck oh okay yeah that's it's probably most of this 25 million dollar budget i would have liked to see 25 million dollars worth of effects here maybe put a good explosion here you got some chase scenes so yeah, unfortunately, this film, it's not a hidden gem in the Stallone vault. And I'm telling you, Al, I have a hidden gem in the Stallone vault that I think you're going to like. It's a Stallone film you've probably never heard of. Stop or my mom will shoot? No, no, no. It's actually a film from the 90s called Copland. Oh, I've heard of that. I've heard good things about that. Yeah, you might like that. That's a hidden Stallone gem. This one, it is not. So for me, uh, 1987's Over the Top does not stand the test of time. What do you think, Al? Uh, no, this movie does not stand the test of time. It's really, really stupid. And we have enumerated all of the reasons why this movie is bad. We've done a good job of covering that ground. Good for us. But there is one other thing that really makes this movie extra terrible. This movie has absolutely no self-awareness. Like, Dodgeball came up a couple times in our conversation. That's a movie where, to win, the good guys have to beat the bad guys in a dodgeball tournament. That's a stupid thing, but the movie leans into it. They talk about how crazy it is. They talk about how weird it is. Characters say, a dodgeball tournament? What do you mean? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. This movie doesn't do that at all. This movie takes itself completely seriously and it shouldn't i mean you could maybe get away with that if you were really really like good at it but this movie just fails and you just need someone even have the the crazy grandpa say that's your goal in life is to win an arm wrestling tournament are you kidding me that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard but no no one says anything no one mentions it everyone is just really really serious about it and If you're going to make it out to be that it is a really serious thing and this is a very serious sport and competitors take it very seriously, okay, then explain why. Why are all these truckers so invested in it? Give me some history. Show me the beauty of the sport. Make me think about it in a way that I never did before if you're going to take it seriously. Okay, cool. But they don't do that either. 
it's just a stupid movie with a stupid plot that doesn't make sense. It's not well executed. No, this movie does not stand the test of time. I did have a thought, though. Oh, yeah? What's that? So, you know, a little, like, behind the scenes, how the sausage is made kind of a thing. Our episodes of the podcast start with, listen, as we talk about blah, 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 blah. And obviously, we record that after we record the episode because we don't know what we're going to talk about when we're going in. And, you know, we take turns about who records the opening each week. But I was thinking, for this episode, we want to arm wrestle for it. Huh? Huh? You and me. Come on. Okay. All right. All right. All right here we go. Here we go. Let's, uh, where should we, we could do it over here. Uh, move the microphone. You better not go over the top because that's automatic win. Oh, is it? I mean, oh, here, I don't want to knock over your water bottle here. Here, move your water bottle over there. Okay. Three, two, one, go. I can make you laugh. 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 I can make Oh, I won! God. I won! Oh God! I won! I'll wins. I'll win. But James, double elimination. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, we don't have to do double elimination. All right, we can do double. Elimination. Okay, we're doing double elimination. Here we go! Here we go! Here we go! Okay. Now double elimination means if you lose again. <laughs> Let's just explain double elimination. Dying times. All right, yes. here we go. One, two, two three. <laughs> Yay! Wait, you didn't even try that time. No, I tried super hard. Al <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll won two times in a row. All right, I'm putting the microphone back. Yay, I get to record the opener. I don't know why that's such a prize. Well, I didn't like this movie, but it was fun to talk about. Next week, we're going to talk about another movie from the same year, 1987. Also, 35th anniversary. A weird occasion to celebrate, but that's what we do here. Raising Arizona. I am really excited to talk about this movie. Have you seen this, James? I have not, but it's one of the weird films that I own on DVD, but just have not seen. Why do you own it on DVD, then? Because it was in that era that it was late blockbuster. Rentals were like five, six bucks by that point. No, no late fees anymore. But when you went to, like, Virgin Record Store, they had so many DVDs that were five bucks. So I used to, like, just figure if I might rent this film, I might as well buy it at Virgin. And that's why I have a bunch of movies I've never actually seen, like Raising Arizona. Until next week, I'll watch it. Gotcha. Well, I used to love this movie. I haven't seen it in many, many, many years. I'm excited to talk about Raising Arizona next week. Until then, of course, we want to hear from you guys. We are at Tested Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tell us your thoughts about arm wrestling and trucking and going over the top. Well, we all know the secret to winning arm wrestling now. There's two ways. You either put your fingers over the top mm-hmm. or you do a Stallone impression that incapacitates your opponent. That'll work. All right, we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye.